This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 769 with Meg Zucker. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 769. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Meg Zucker is an attorney and leader in anti-money laundering and financial crimes on Wall Street. She's also the founder and president of Don't Hide It, Flaunt It which is a nonprofit whose mission is to advance understanding, tolerance, and mutual respect for people's differences. It provides flaunted social-emotional learning and anti-bullying programming to public and private schools, universities, community service organizations, and diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at Fortune 500 companies. Meg is a high-demand speaker and activist who's been featured on the Today Show. She's also had writing appear in Parents Magazine, USA Today, Scholastic Storyworks, The Jewish Forward, The Mighty, Motherwell, and Scary Mommy. The Zucker family has also been the subject of a TLC special, My Extraordinary Family. Meg recently released her first book, Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. I loved this conversation. I am so grateful for the work that Meg is doing, and I know that this conversation is going to help you have incredibly important conversation with your kids around other people's disabilities and differences and also allow you to see things in a different way. And also maybe if you are someone who does have differences from other people, maybe see them in different ways too. This is a powerful conversation. I learned a lot. My heart definitely grew and I just love, love, love that I am now connected to Meg and her work. And I think you're going to feel exactly the same. 
So listen in to hear Meg share her experience being born with ectrodactyly, which is the absence of one or more central digits on your hand or foot. The difference between the labels of difference and disabilities and how to use them appropriately and in ways that are thoughtful and intentional. How she has taken on the attitude of let go and let live in order to let her kids with ectrodactyly figure out their capabilities all on their own. The gift of her husband accepting her unconditionally before she accepted herself unconditionally. How her son being bullied led her to start her nonprofit, Don't Hide It, Flaunt It. The fine line between cruelty and curiosity when it comes to interacting with people who are different than yourself. And why kindness is a great goal, but it's not sufficient on its own when it comes to teaching your kids about being inclusive. Oh, that last one is a really big one because we know that we teach and promote and really feel like we're doing a good job when we're raising kind kids. And Meg makes some really great points around how we can expand our thinking around that in particularly. I also want to make sure that you all go out and get Born Extraordinary. So Meg's book, Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities, is written for parents and teachers and doctors and caregivers, anyone who's working with kids, anyone who has kids in their family or kids who are going to school so that our kids can all learn to relate to each other in ways that are healthy and productive and not doing any harm to others while also making sure that we're creating spaces where people can safely build really trusting and fulfilling and soulful relationships. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Meg Zucker to the Shameless Mom Academy. Meg, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here too. This will be, I think, a really good conversation, a really enlightening conversation. And I appreciate you showing up and being open to talking to my audience, sharing your book, Born Extraordinary, and digging into pieces of your personal life. You're talking about some stuff related to your kids. We're like going all in on this conversation, and I'm so excited. Thank you again for having me. I really mean that. It's wonderful to talk about my life and my book and everything. I want to start with the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and share a little bit about what you're most excited about right now. Beyond like where you went to college or what degree you have and all the kind of the, the like fancy credential stuff. Yeah, no, that's funny. I mean, it's a, gosh, no one's really asked me that. And I think it's such a, a cool question. I mean, one of the things that's great beyond Born Extraordinary and all the promotion I'm doing is, is that for the past 10 years and beyond my day job as a lawyer, um, I run a nonprofit, Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, and we do social emotional learning programs across the country for people, you know, students of all ages and in companies and so forth. And actually, we're newly uh, expanding into the world of the military, VA, and so forth. And so I'm super excited about watching how our programs, you know, started out with elementary schools and started expanding in that, you know, sort of student oriented space and education space and watching it grow even more. I love that. I want to talk a little bit about your um, really specific genetic condition that you were born with, because that is hugely influenced, obviously how you have grown up, but also the book, your work, um, how you show up in the world, how you serve others in the world, and as well as it's impacted your kids as well. So can you take, can you take us into that piece of your story? Yeah, sure. So I was born with, and I know um, your audience can't see me, but I was born with a genetic condition called ectrodactyly, um, which 
means I have one finger on each hand, shortened forearms, one toe on each foot. Uh, It's a condition that I pass along to two of my three children. Although what's interesting about extradactyly, which I only learned when I was applying to law school, that my condition had a name and a label, if you will. Um, Interesting. Yeah, but it it just means missing digits. Um, I think it sounds like a dinosaur type, you know, extradactyly, right? But um, at the end of the day, I just figured if in fact, it started with me, by the way, like no one in my family, my brothers, my parents, relatives, no one had this condition, but it certainly didn't end with me because I pass it along to our sons and and not our daughter. And what I have to say about this whole experience having extradactyly was I, I didn't think I mean, I figured that if you had it, that means you only had one finger on each hand. And the answer is no, you could have like, for example, our son, Charlie has two fingers on each hand, two toes on each foot. Ethan has one finger, two toes, the whole thing. Anyway, combined, the three of us have 18 fingers and toes. So I guess I'll just, you know, say that and let it sink in for a little bit, but you know But that's my condition. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's something that I really wasn't focused on the way I was raised. Um, Truly, I would definitely hide my hands in public. Mm -hmm. And that isn't because I'm a shy person or anything like that. Quite the opposite. I was just really wanting people to get to know me, then focus on it growing Mm -hmm. up. And so to me, it wasn't something that I ever thought it would be a subject that I would be writing about or, you know, defining myself or certainly being in public about. But then things evolved, especially when I had our two children that were born with extradactyly, I started realizing I had something to share. Mm. Can you explain a little bit about how this, for our listeners to kind of just get a fuller scope, how does this genetic condition impact daily life? And I would imagine it's potentially a little different for you and for each member of your, for each of your two sons, but also there's probably some similarities. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question, Sarah, I mean, seriously, because I wish I could, you know, have this long list already made for you, but quite frankly, it's a very short list and the short list is even unique to uh, companies. And what I mean by that is um, I guess I could struggle opening water bottles sometimes, but if you give me a pull and spring, I can open it. If you give me, I don't know, Evian, it's harder. I mean, <laughs> just because oh my gosh. the lids are not as thick. As some, you know, but I really mean this. I mean, when I think about my abilities, they have really not been something that have been, I mean, certainly had to be creative, like tying my shoes. You know, I didn't do things like that in such a, in the same way that anyone else did. So I have to be creative, but Mm. I actually, you know, trombone when I was growing up and riding my bike and, you know, playing tennis. I mean, I have never really been that impacted physically, but I would say maybe if I really was going to just sort of face the truth. Yeah. Maybe I would have played the French horn instead of the trombone because I liked that instrument more. That was impossible. So perhaps Mm. I've kind of navigated ways to say, oh, no, I can do everything. I'm like, well, I guess I sort of self-selected things that I knew that were just completely Mm -hmm. unachievable. But let me say one more thing on this topic. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. in my book, Born Extraordinary, I have a chapter called Let Go and Let Live. And I wrote it purposely because there are things that I presume my sons couldn't do, our sons couldn't do, 
that they could. I couldn't fathom our son, Charlie, playing baseball, for example. He has two fingers on each hand. How could a glove fit on his hand? And so, you know, in terms of physical abilities, no, there's not a lot. But I also have to say, as a parent, I'm grateful that I also made certain to, um, well, I should say, I'm happy that my kids have thrived, but I also talk about my mistakes where sometimes I held them back based on my own like scrutiny. Is that possible? So, you know, there's a lot of things we could talk about, even just focused on that. That's super interesting because I would imagine that you would just have this like innate bias based on what you were able to do and, and unable to do that you would have make these assumptions um, with your kids. And I love like, let go and let live being like letting them figure out just like you did, like you opting for one thing versus another and letting them do that as well. And that must've been, I'm imagining exciting and maybe cathartic for you to see them take on things that you would have assumed maybe they couldn't do. I mean, I think you're putting me in such a wonderful light. I'm not sure it's really deserved <laughs> because, because I mean, shame on me, right? I mean, I'll give you another story I think I put in the book, but um, it has to do with Charlie as well. So he really wanted to play piano. Um, I didn't realize that. And what I did do is I got piano lessons for our 10 finger daughter, Savannah, and he would sit there in the living room and watch her play. And I'm like, oh, he just wants to play outside with her. That's why he's waiting. And then, wow. you know, after, you know, one day someone is playing this beautiful song and I'm like, Savannah, good job. And uh, someone else in the house was like, Savannah's taking a bath. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm actually happy about what they've accomplished, but I didn't really always give them the sort of open highway of uh, possibilities there. It was almost as if, and it's one of the reasons I, I wrote the book is to talk about my mistakes. It was almost like for the boys, let go and let live really had to be like, let them try things, let them fail and mm-hmm. let them do things that are beyond your own imagination. Even if yeah. you're willing to let them do things, that doesn't, it has to be based on their passions, not yours, or you're certainly not tapping into any fears, what they may or may not be able to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. We had my son start ski lessons when he was five years old. And I spent a lot of time wondering, like, and I did not grow up skiing or doing any mountain. I did. I grew up doing no sports at all, let alone mountain sports. <laughs> And I was like, I'm sure you did hopscotch, which is what I tried. I did hopscotch. I didn't even do dodgeball though. I didn't do four square. (laughs) I was like, no balls ever. um, (laughs) And I remember being really conflicted, like, okay, he can go do this thing and like gain independence and confidence. Or like, am I just sending him out to die? (laughs) Like, yeah. And you know, it's so true. And it's so interesting. And, you know, one of the conversations I've had um, before and, and, and happy to have it with you directly too, is, you know, when you have a child that is different or disabled, or, you know, we can talk about labels if you want, but um, it, it, there are no guarantees. And so your expectations are really just at the point of, let me see what happens. What, let me mm-hmm. see what they're able to do. And if you let go of fear, in this space, you just are delighted by every step of growth. Um, When you have a child that is not, then to your point, it always reminds me like everyone's afraid. Like, it's like, can they do this? Can they not? But the expectation is, well, they should be able to ski. Skiing is what people do. Yeah. Um, yeah, You know, so therefore the question is, will he or she be able to do it based on 
athletic ability or things mm-hmm. like that versus mm-hmm. capability. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, such an important distinction. And I appreciate you bringing that up because yes, very, very different. Um, and you also brought up labels, which I wanted to talk about and dig into. Sure. You talk about the difference between dis, uh, difference and disability. And can you talk about the, those, the difference between the two um, and, and why you do talk about that? Yeah. So I, out of the gate before even chapter one, I forget if it's before the intro, maybe, or right after, um, I talk about the fact that in the book, um, in Born and Extraordinary, I refer to myself, my children as different. And by the way, there are 30 other contributing parents of children with differences and disabilities in this book. And so I really wanted to be careful who may or may not call them their themselves, their children, whatever different or disabled or what, you know, whatever label. So I wanted to address it. Uh, the thing about this label for me was that when I was growing up, my parents really, really empowered me and they really made me feel um, not less than, but more than. And to me, the label of disabled felt like less than. And I was like, Mm -hmm. why is that? You know, and especially as I grew up and I became an adult, I'm like, wait a minute, there are people that um, fly the flag of disability pride and and embrace that. And so what's wrong with me that I wouldn't see it in those terms? And I start, and then one day I was um, getting ready for work and a traffic reporter said, oh, your day's going to be ruined. I'm not going to make those meetings because there's a disabled vehicle on the road. And so then it, it occurred to me that, in fact, the common vernacular continues to be negative in that space, in that using that term in certain circumstances. Yeah. And then I realized, well, that's really cool of the people that do use the term in the right way and and embrace it and celebrate it and and you know live their lives in their own version of normal capable of doing anything and everything within their means. Right. So then one other thing happened I started having a conversation with someone where I realized okay if you have three families they all have the children with the same condition one says this is my son who's disabled next one this is my daughter who's different the third one is this is my son who's differently abled and you realize that you know i had this epiphany Sarah. it was like okay we need to give parents caregivers, whoever, and their children, the grace and respect to decide how to label yourselves. And then let's move on and let's just focus on, you know, the other things that are certainly addressed in my book. And there's only, there's one other thing to say about the labels. Um, I don't even think I wrote about this in the book, but since I've been discussing it a lot with people, you know, that people can actually do two things. One, just because you label your child doesn't mean that's how they're going to see themselves. So just pay attention to that. And then secondly, um, you or your child might say, oh, I'm X, Y, Z, different, disabled, whatever. And then by the time they're a teenager, they might have a different you know, description and that's okay too. So that's mm-hmm. why it's so important. We just respect one another and in, in allowing allowing people to really um, just make it a family decision. I, you know, not judge one another based on this decision and, and let everyone, you know, just sort of feel empowered in their space. And then, you know, like I said, move on to others' topics. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, 
is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah, I think that's such an important lesson. And I really appreciate that invitation um, for us to look at how someone chooses to identify and then honor how they choose to identify. And that can look different from one person to the next, for sure. I had an experience interviewing a bunch of black women over time who all self-identified as black. And then I was interviewing this woman and she's like, everyone keeps calling me black. I'm an African-American. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating because like the last like 25 black women I interviewed very clearly self-identified as black and really embraced that. And you know, that's how they entered into every conversation. And then to have someone else say, no, like I want something different. And So just honor that. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was so grateful that she said that because that we can get really caught up in, oh, everyone's doing it this way now versus like um, honoring each individual saying like, this is how I prefer to identify and looking at it as like one person at a time versus a whole subset. Yeah. That's super fascinating, by the way. And, you know, the other component is I had mentioned, you know, someone one year might think, describe themselves one way and then 10 years later or five years later. Actually, there's also just sort of, you know, I have this concept in the book called the dignity ladder, you know, how we feel about ourselves, you know, do we step off the wrong side of the bed or the right side of the bed? And so someone could refer to me or my children using label I don't use. And if I'm like on my, the bottom of my dignity ladder, feeling kind of mm. crappy that day or whatever, yeah. I get really resented and be angry or not now, but in the past. But also if you're at the top of your dignity ladder, you're like, hey, 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 you know, partay, not really, but you know, you're feeling good. Yeah. It's, it's incredible how your your own, almost like your sense of self and your mood can govern how you, you can't stop people from maybe labeling you the way you do or do not see yourself. But it's interesting how you can sort of receive that information and, you know, being yeah. really mindful of, of ourselves and so forth. So to the point of, you know, your example with a woman who mentioned, no, I'm African-American. I mean, she sounds like she was doing, feeling well and wanted to say that, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I really give people the sort of, um, you know, in my space, I'm not in that space, but mm-hmm. just, just say, Hey, if someone is reacts and it's sort of tense or negative, or that's not how, you know, just know that, it's more about how are they feeling? What's their mood? What happened that day that they might be extra sensitive about something? Yeah, absolutely. 
You talk about at the beginning of the book, you talked or, or kind of pointing this directly at parents and you talk about embracing the new normal. Can you talk a little bit about that piece? Yeah. So embracing the new normal is uh, a chapter that I wrote because, well, to, te- to take a step back. So my parents wrote that uh, I wish they would have written a guidebook for me. They didn't. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I wish I would have followed their lead in so many things that they did and they were much more similar to sort of cut from the same cloth as my husband. No wonder, because he married someone who looks so blatantly physically different. And, you know, it probably unconditionally accepted me before I felt that way about myself, not only probably did. And so, you know, I felt like I needed to have people before they focused on their children and wanting to empower their children Um, to have them really understand and be honest with themselves. Like, what kind of person are you? Are you someone that's consumed by judgment? Is it, does it bother you when someone's thinking certain thing or saying a certain thing, or does it sort of roll off your back and you're just fine and, and so forth and you can handle it. And for me, I was hiding my hands when I was growing up. I was very consumed with the way people thought of me. And, and I realized I had work to do. I have this part of the book and in that chapter where John, my husband, Ethan, our oldest, is about to be born, and he's swaddled up in his lightish hair, bright blue eyes, and he's completely like you cannot see his limbs. And I was like, oh my gosh, he is the vision of perfection. And then there was my husband who takes him, mother, both of our parents came in to meet their grandson and he lifts him up, the blanket falls and like, this is Ethan, you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh. So embracing the new normal is really saying to parents, you know, it's important to take a step for yourself and think about, and I talk through, how do you get there? How do you get to that sort of mental state of here he is, or here we are. And I really wanted to focus on that as well as, and we can talk about if you'd like, just letting go of the notion of perfection. Mm, Yeah. I watched a friend navigate that when her daughter was born with Down syndrome and her like really intentional and beautiful way of introducing her to the world and the way that she's continued to just be like so thoughtful about how she shares her daughter with the world. And it's been really cool to watch. And I see some parallels in what you just said and just sharing so joyously and also acknowledging like there's two parts, you know, like here she is in incredible. And also like that her parents are such fierce advocates for children with Down syndrome and other disabilities and other um, learning differences, which has been really fascinating to watch as well. You know, what's cool about it. Thank you for sharing about your friend, because I always feel like people that do that, you know, they're motivators, right? I mean, having that sort of confidence and embracing the, it's almost like I I quote, I think um, Carolyn Mace, this thought, the incredible thought leader who was being interviewed by Oprah. And it's sort of like the key is to be madly in love with the life that you've been given it and, you know, start given, don't, you know, or, you know, get through the sort of regret of what you don't have. And, and so when I see someone doing that, and I certainly hope I do that and will continue to do it. But I just notice, and I, I think I wrote it at some point that, you know, and we, and it's a lesson to teach our children that are different and disabled. It's like, when you're like that, from a kid perspective, that means other kids might just want to accept them. So, you know, all kids have their own version of one finger to hide. So, you know, if, yeah. if kids or parents are doing that, 
she's helping the next parent reach that pinnacle, that state that she was able to reach. And some people, like I said, some people are not so naturally there and some people you know, are. And so it's really wonderful to see people doing that. One other thing in the first chapter, I talked about someone I know who they, he had a child with autism and he had to take a break from social media, quite frankly, when they had the baby, because there were so many like, you know, people, friends who had children the same age and his son was not meeting the same milestones in the same way. It was just so hard for him. So it was such a nice thing for him to um, take that break and then come back and kind of was similar to your friend, like, here's my son and here's what he's up to. And I'm so proud of him. Yeah. I think it takes inner work to do that. I love that you said that like, we all have our version of one, one finger, finger to hide. And for yeah. some people, one finger to hide. Yeah. And for some people, I think that those things can be really visible for other people. They're not right. And I think for some people it's things that are culturally less accepted and then for other people, not. So it's like r- kind of honoring that whole spectrum of like, what is the thing? Are there societal limitations because of it? Is it something where we can navigate the world in the same way that most people do or not? Is it something that we need to ask for, you know, different kinds of accommodations for There's so much in there and being able to look at at that objectively and neutrally, but then also for like the rest of us to be able to honor that like everyone has their thing so that we're also looking at it from a position of compassion, which is often not objective and neutral, but it's like really making a strong effort to see things through someone else's eyes. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, you know, look, I think at the end of the day, it's one of the reasons that I started Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, my nonprofit, because so our oldest son was bullied on the playground for being different. And one of the things that happened is the principal asked me to come and speak to the faculty. How can we help a child who's different like your son? And when I was there, it occurred to me, like, not only did I want to empower kids like my son and develop a program so that he felt like he was a someone out of something to his peers, but, you know, at the kid level, there were kids running up to me and saying, because I had a theme, the things that make me different make me me. And they're like, well, Mrs. Upper, I'm not different. There's nothing different about me. And that's when, to me, the sort of self-discovery of that concept and allowing ourselves to just understand, even at a young age, it's really interesting to watch kids in this space. Um, I'll give you a quick example. You know, so this, it became, it's become a nationwide contest, right? Um, Called Kids Flunt. And, and it's been around for a number of years, but some of the kids, I mean, will write about, you know, the things that make them different. So, like I said, one finger to hide, right? But, um, Uh, We have a girl who her parents are divorced and that's what makes her her. And she, you can't see it, but she's constantly having to go back and forth between her parents and her grandparents and all that kind of stuff. And that's what, and she doesn't like to talk about it. That's, you know, she feels like when there's sort of like family picnics for school and she watches her parents struggle to even be in the same room together, that's an element of shame for her. It's a very different version, but it's my example to you to say, it's really interesting once we, you know, through the programming that I've done through through Don't Had It, Flaunt It, that we really find these examples. Other kids, there was a girl that, so she wrote an essay, the one I told you about, there was another one. She drew a picture of herself and her difference is she was shy. She is shy. And it's self-portrait, half black and white, half in color. So we can understand how she feels when she's like, 
in that space of feeling like having to do something in front of people. So anyway, just what a powerful image. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. Sorry. That was a long answer. (laughs) No, I loved, I love that answer. I'm so sorry that your son had to go through that experience of bullying. And when we go through things like that, it's all we want to do is protect our kids. It's one thing when we're like, oh, I had to endure this thing myself, but it's really different when we have to navigate that with our children and for our children. But on the flip side of it, if this incredible opportunity, or you created this incredible opportunity to start the nonprofit and just um, to start Don't Hide It, Flaunt It. And what was the name of the comp- the challenge that you said? The, the things flaunt. that make me different, make me me. It's the program we have. So it's yeah. Kids Flaunt. Oh, Kids Flaunt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we have Kids Flaunt, Teen Flaunt, Guest Flaunt. Okay. We do a okay. lot of programming. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the outcome of is that all these kids get to share like the things that make them different, but also like really special and uniquely them, then a really impressive and incredible um, and impa- deeply impactful outcome. And what a well, huge I, gift. I appreciate that so much. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, that sort of saying, you know, making lemonade out of lemons kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that experience, which was an awful experience um, yeah. in my book, it, you know, the chapter is called taking the bully, B-U-L-L-Y bully by the horns. And one of the things that I wanted to do was a couple things. Uh, first, certainly if if the worst happens and your child is bullied, I really wanted to talk through the way that I work through that experience with Ethan, like tools and tips and things and how we work through that together. Also the importance of when, you know, you're, especially when you're physically different, but in any other event, distinguishing between curiosity and cruelty is really important because the former is not intentionally cruel. The latter is. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it was really important for me to help my children, even if they're on the receiving, I mean, they literally been on the receiving end. I have a story in the book, you know, Ethan's at a pool and this kid's looking at me. He's like, you're a monster. Oh my gosh. What happened to your hands? And he's like, mom, he was bullying me. I'm like, no, he was reacting to you and it was extreme, but there's a difference. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I was going to tell you about that chapter is, and I love making certain to emphasize it in chats like this, And that is that a lot of books and, you know, movies or things like that, campaigns, choose kindness, you know, be kind. And I love to speak about that. And the reason is, is that while kindness is a great goal, it's inadequate. It's insufficient for our kids that are different and disabled. You know, if a a parent tells a child, oh, you know, be nice to Susie, well, that means the kid is going to walk by Susie and not be mean maybe, but might even ignore Susie. Susie wants sleepovers. Susie wants um, people to invite to her birthday parties. And so that's why to me, it was so important to write this, that it should be much more about choosing friendship. And those programs that we just talked about, like Kids Flaunt, help unite kids. And so not because they all share the same difference, but that they all can connect and understand one another. They all know what it's like to feel judged or maybe embarrassed about something about themselves or their family. Mm -hmm. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's so interesting. I so appreciate that kindness is a great goal, but not sufficient. I think that's really powerful and really important. I totally hear you on that. I think that there, it's interesting. So my son is 10 and it's interesting overhearing conversations with him and friends. And you mentioned that fine line between um, cruelty and curiosity. And you can hear sometimes when they're talking about things that there's like something that's a point of confusion where they're like, they don't quite understand something. And they're like trying to figure out which way to go with it. They're like, okay, so this makes some, a situation or a person or a group of people different, but that's unfamiliar to us. So like, how are we going to talk about it? And they're not quite sure. And I was walking home one day with um, my son and a friend. And as they were talking, I was like, oh, that's so, they were talking about um, a child with a difference from them. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And I asked a question about it. (laughs) My son's friend was like, yeah, that is really interesting. And they just like totally went down this like kind of like curiosity path with it. And it really shifted the tone of the conversation from like, that's the tone being kind of like, that's different and weird to like, yeah, I wonder what that is. We should go ask. And like, it was such an interesting shift. And I was, I like was taking note. I was like, okay, like you have to like nudge to that position of curiosity. And then it like opens things up in a really different way versus like our really like, immature brains that are like, I just want to put things in boxes and notice it fit here or there. <laughs> I love that so much. I mean, you know, look, I've, I've written for beyond the book, you know, in parents magazine and different parenting magazines and all those kind of things and, and other types of non-parenting, but just sort of on topic anyway. And so much of, you know, I've found the sort of more universal, you know, what sort of parents tap into is my kid is going to encounter someone who's different what do I do? And as I had written, you know, the answer is embrace the embarrassment. You know, in other words, don't stop your kid. I know I have one finger. I hate to say this, but the lady knows she's, you know, whatever, you know, in a wheelchair that, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, I've found in my life when anyone has tried to, um, and as a parent, even if, you know, watching them whisk their kids away from us, it really has an impact to your point about curiosity and the importance of it. It does not allow natural curiosity to govern. And so kids find themselves sort of like, oh, I, I, you know, 
parents are like, oh, avoided that. They didn't even right. see them. So now we don't have to worry about that. Right. But to your point, if they didn't do that and they're like, did you see that lady? She has one finger. Her, those boys, they have whatever. And look, I, I, at the end of the day, that that is an important dialogue. But it also means, and why I wrote the book and the second chapter is called Building Their Dignity. Because if I'm going to encourage people to just like embrace the embarrassment, go ahead, say something, then I need to build the dignity and mental strength and emotional strength of my kids to be able to endure it and handle it and react in a positive way instead of a sort of sad way or angry way or or a defensive way or anything like that. So, you know, we all as collective parents have work to do on both sides, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't make certain that those wonderful natural interactions don't happen. They should be happening. And when they do, it's pretty cool because then, you know, the comfort level of difference just evolves into something much more accepting. Yeah. 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 And I think that when that, when there is a little bit of comfort, then all of a sudden things like new things can, different things can bloom um, and really, really. Yes. You said something earlier that I want to go back to. You mentioned your husband accepting you unconditionally before you accepted yourself unconditionally. And I want to just touch on that again, because I think that's a really powerful statement and we just kind of blew right past it. And I like took a front <laughs> note. I was like, return to this because um, <laughs> I think that this is often how we are with loved ones where we see the people around us is just so perfect in so many ways. And then ourselves, we're just like, here's all the ways that I'm imperfect. And I wish I could be different and quote unquote better and et cetera. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that journey of having your husband adore you in that way and how that, it sounds like allowed things to shift for you? Yeah, for sure. And um I think I wrote in an article in USA Today, a similar topic. So if people are listening and they're like, oh, I want to hear more then they or read more or whatever, I've actually written about it. Well, let me start with this, that when I started dating, I was extremely fearful that I would never get married. Um, how could someone possibly want to commit to me? Yes, I dated people. I'm super, yeah, my genetics are su- are really with me. I'm super social. If we're hanging, we're hanging and I enjoy that. And so mm-hmm. I wasn't someone that was sort of in the corner and shy or at all. So as a result, I was able to ultimately, although some people put me in the friend zone, but people would date me, but actually commit like a lifetime commitment. I just couldn't fathom meeting that person. My parents, I remember sitting with my dad, he's like, the person that meets you is going to be the most wonderful fantastic, whatever person. So if you take that conversation into college, I um, dated someone for a while and I were good friends, but I literally hid my hands in my pockets the entire first date. And he, we went to the movies and afterwards he called me and he's like, what's wrong? You know, what happened? And I, I literally over the phone had to explain to him that I was born like this. And in the end, I have this memory. We were walking down for people that understand University of Wisconsin down Langdon Street and we were walking down and he grabbed my hand. It was the first time that anyone had really done that, like in public, like proud. And I remember like, it was kind of a seismic shift of weight of possibility, not yeah. guarantees, but of possibility that someone might want to accept me for me and be there for me you know, in that sense. I was just reminded, I don't know if you watch Firefly Lane Girls, whatever that show is on that. No, I keep hearing about it, but I have. Oh my that. gosh. But there's a <laughs> Kate who the, the actress said, 
plays Kate. There's she's in high school and this boy likes her, but he's like, she's a nerd. He's not. So she's hiding it. I always felt like wouldn't want someone want to just hide me. And so anyway, um, with respect to my husband, John, yeah, I mean, there's certain people that they just, by definition, therefore it's no wonder that he was sort of like, you know, even though my biggest fear was to have children that were born with my genetic condition. He's like, why you came out great. And so they, they will too. What, you know, what are you afraid of? And so I started down the path of feeling like, okay, maybe I'm worthy of unconditional love, but I wasn't completely there. I mean, I, uh, on my wedding day, I had this dress. It was beautiful, but I had them kind of ruin it and add these sleeves to it so that my arm, because I have shortened forearms so that like my arms and my hands were more hidden Mm -hmm. so that it wasn't so blatant. And it's so sad. And I have this picture of myself. I was with my grandmother in, in Westchester, New York. And I have an actual visual of my looking in a mirror with my hands behind my, my dress. Cause I just, that's the image I wanted. Um, I guess fast forward, you know, when I had Ethan, our son first, who was born with extradactyly and of course, later Charlie, but with Ethan in particular, as we all know that, are, you know, any one of us that are parents, the unconditional love that we have for a child is undeniable. And as a result, I couldn't have unconditional love for him and then denying my own self ex- existence in terms of sense of self. And so I finally... I think thanks to Ethan evolved into a place of unconditional self-love. And, you know, back to um, the first, first chapter, embracing the new normal. I think I I explore a little bit about that as well. And that's why I wrote that chapter. Oh my goodness. That story. (laughs) I feel like every parent can imagine like their biggest insecurity or the thing that they're like holding inside. And then when you see a glimpse of that in your kid, whether it is visible difference or something else, all of a sudden your sense of self-compassion, I think does shift. And also that like heightened sense of protection for your kid, but it makes you check yourself. Cause you're like, hold on, wait, like if I'm going to be like their most fierce advocate, I, maybe I need to stop beating myself up. Or maybe like I need the conversation in my head needs to change as well. If I'm uh, going to be compassionate toward them, maybe I should be compassionate toward me. And that is the first chapter, Embracing the New Normal. That is so much of the digging that I purposely poured my heart out for the entire book. But that was sort of, hey, parents, wait, just wait until you want to throw yourselves into this because you've got to like do that self-exploration. And how are we, you know, in the in the book, I talk about the opposite to me of love is not hate, it's fear, you know, and every misstep I've ever made as a parent was rooted in fear, you know, and, and that was truly damaging. It was damaging for me as their parent. Um, And it was certainly um, damaging and, and thwarting their ability to, you know, live to their fullest and continue to live to their fullest potential. Yeah. I want to talk just a little bit about siblings before we wrap up, because I think this piece is really important. And I know that you talk about it a bit in the book. Um, Can you talk about this, the importance of that sibling relationship for a child that is different or disabled and why those relationships are so unique and special? 
Yeah, I'm glad you're asking me about it because um, originally it was called What About the Siblings? And then we changed it to What About the Families? Because not everyone has a sibling, of course. And so when we say, when I'm writing about siblings, it could mean cousins the same age, or you know, maybe you have some best friends who have kids the same age or something. But, you know, they're there was a really interesting dynamic. And I, instead of with my own children, I pulled back from my own experience growing up and the importance of my brothers and their role. And in particular, so, you know, the role of the the younger sibling, if you will, and the reason or the equivalent. And the reason it's so important is, you know, my brother, Ted, for example, we would be in at our house or in a car or something. And he'd be like, Maggie, why do you have one finger? I'm like, what? Not you. Like, you're my brother. Why are you doing? But here's the thing, just like building a muscle, like he was essentially foreshadowing what I was going to experience. And I was, you know, getting it and having, I, it was like a trial run. And not only was it a trial run in terms of his asking questions and welcome questions, but I also saw how he would move past the subject too. And so that was really important. The older sibling has a different role, which is just equally as important. And that is the role of, you know, while your parents are consumed, like, what can they do? What can they not? What should I do? What, what you know, should I, you know, we're always over, overthinking um, in that sense. They're just like, you know, my older brother, Peter's like, hey, let's go play basketball. Let's go bike riding. Let's do anything and everything. And he had this saying like, fail fast, then pivot. Because he kind of realized, well, she can't do everything, but we can always sort of, I can help pick her up and let's, let's pivot to the next thing. And so, and then I wanted to write about it because those same parents, those kids that are not different or disabled, they deserve the attention. They deserve not only your attention, but a time away from all of you, like in a summer camp environment or whatever the case may be. So it can be about them because depending on a kid's needs, it might be very consuming. And so, you know, there's that. And then there's the final point, which I think is a really important point. If we hope that our children are empathetic, most of us, right? Like, mm-hmm. and siblings, uh, family members of of anyone who's different or disabled, by definition, based on their life experience, they are the most beautiful, empathetic, incredible people in their own right. And in fact, I would say, you know, anyone who wants your kid to have like a wonderful, lovely friend, certainly kid different, disabled, they're empathetic based on their own life experience. Yeah. But so is their sibling and family member. So anyway, that's, that's why I decided to write that too. Oh, I love all that. Oh my goodness. Okay. So you have to tell folks who needs to read Born Extraordinary. I feel like this book is for all of our listeners in so many different capacities. Um, Is there anyone specific that you want to call out or do you want to share kind of how it's for for all of our shameless moms. Yeah, I'm so grateful to the library journal that gave it a sort of books not to miss start review and their verdict was it's an essential read for all parents. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, obviously, parents of children um, with you know physical differences or disabilities and, and, and invisible differences and disabilities. And, and, you know, I do say, look, it's not a, you know, one size fits all there, you know, pick and choose the nuggets that you're going to enjoy. And and by the way, remember, there's other parents that are contributors too. So it's not just my story. It's a story. There's an additional words of wisdom for anything and everyone. Um, but uh, it's really something that I just lost my train of thought. What did you, <laughs> what did you just ask who's me? A, who's the book for? Who's the book oh, for? Who needs for? to buy Born so, Extraordinary? Gosh, that's so You funny. are like, really, you were going oh, all down the right track. I was like, wow. <laughs> no, but, but here's the thing. Um, certainly teachers as well. 
And also very grateful. It was endorsed by um, a member of the Academy, American Academy of Pediatrics. It's for doctors who are, you know, when they give a diagnosis and they can hand this book and say, everything's going to be okay. I love that concept. But to your point about all parents, yeah, that to me is, you know, I do a lot of forecasting throughout the book of the way people are interacting. And if you're a parent that wants to raise an empathetic child, it's going to give you deep insight into navigating through, because even if if your child is not different or disabled, or you don't regard them that way, they're going to encounter kids that are. And this will give you that sort of instructive guidance or insight, you know, to sort of rise to the occasion in that regard as well. Oh my gosh. I love it. So parents, caregivers, teachers, doctors, um, in our community, we have a lot of kids with invisible disabilities. And so I really appreciate that call out because I think that Sometimes it's easy to think of like, this doesn't really apply. I don't know anyone. And you do. (laughs) I promise you do. (laughs) So yeah, I think that piece is really, really important. Oh my goodness, Meg, this has been so fantastic. I so appreciate you and the work that you're doing in the world. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to be, you know, that you're, you stepped into advocacy um, in the way that you did. You didn't have to do that. You don't owe that to the world, but the world is benefiting in so many ways because you chose to do that. So thank you so much for your work. Um, show or tell people where they can find you, <laughs> where they can get the book um, and connect with you and all the good stuff. Thank you so much. And Sarah, thanks again for having me. It's just been a delightful conversation. Um, so if you, if anyone goes to just megzucker.com, that's my author website. It also links to the nonprofit that I mentioned as well, um, but certainly all the information about the book, as well as any type of appearances, including this one, we get posted up up there too. So that's the best way to, to reach me. Perfect. So we will link everything up. If people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Meg Zucker and they you can get everything right there. Thank you so much for your time today, Meg. And again, for the work that you're doing in the world, I appreciate you. Thanks. Right back at you. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. 
Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It.